All right, awesome. Or like uh, Albert said, Pastor Arts, he's at Calvary Chapel Downey. And uh, we're praying for him simultaneously as he teaches the word there. Um, so he asked me a few weeks ago. And uh, I am honored, privileged, and excited to share the word with you guys tonight. Why don't you turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think that the Lord has a word for us this evening that's appropriate for the times uh, that we're living in. Even before the service, as we were gathered here together to pray, which I encourage you guys to come even on Wednesday nights. I know we have a prayer service early on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., but on Wednesday nights, if you can make it even 15 minutes prior to 7, we're meeting here, we're gathering and praying. And a lot of the prayers that uh, before the service have to do with um, what we're going to go over tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, just to give you guys a setting, a background of what's taking place in chapter 3 of Timothy. Paul, he is writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, uh, from a Roman prison cell awaiting his execution. He's awaiting his death sentence. He is approaching his death. That is the setting of the context. And he's just a few moments away from his death. He's in prison. He's writing to Timothy his last words. And if uh, in the next chapter, chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And his last words before his death are going to be words of wisdom and encouragement to a young pastor, to Timothy and to us, who is ministering, Timothy is ministering to, uh, ministering in the midst of opposition and difficult times, very similar to the times that we're living in today. And in chapters, uh, or, or his last words, like I said, are words of encouragement and wisdom. And before we get to chapter 3, just an overview of this uh, second epistle to Timothy, chapters 1 and 2, the encouragement that he gives Timothy in the letter is to persevere in the present testing that Timothy is going through. He reminds him of his calling, of his faith, of his responsibility, and of the requirements, the characteristics of a faithful minister. In chapters 3 and 4, the encouragement is to endure in the testing to come. There's a testing that's coming to the church. He tells him to protect the gospel, to resist the coming day of apostasy, a falling away of the church. And he concludes the letter with the charge, and the charge is to preach the word, an exhortation to continue in the faith as Paul is approaching now his death. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to spend time with a family, a relative, a friend, someone who's on his deathbed or, or on his last days, here, her or his last days, and they gave you their last words, especially a grandmother or somebody uh, who you looked at as a parent or overseer. And I imagine that you probably listened, that you probably, lean, you probably leaned in and you were quiet. And this is an exhortation that, that Paul is going to give Timothy. And he's also going to give it to us, the church. And Paul has to encourage Timothy in the time to come because the world in which we live is prophetically scheduled to go through perilous times. In the timeline of biblical prophetic history, we are scheduled to go through perilous times. It's in God's timeline. He scheduled it that way. Very difficult times. Times that we are very much living in today, I believe. If Paul thought that Timothy's time would be the last days, how much more are me and you in the last days? 
If he was writing to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you're going to be spending time in the last days. And how much more 2,000 years later are me and you in the last days today? The world and the church are scheduled to go through a heavy season of deception. They're, they're scheduled to be deceived by signs and wonders, false prophets in Christ. Perilous times, the times of deception that probably looks a lot like today. Deception from multiple outlets, voices screaming for our attention in the media, the government, the school system, social media all around us. Everyone screaming for our attention. and Everyone's voice wants to be heard. And Paul will encourage Timothy to, that in the midst of, of all the voices that surround the perilous times, he must listen, and you and I, we must listen to the voice of God. There's many voices that want to crowd our life and want to get a hold of our attention. We must listen out of all the voices to the voice of God. He will give Timothy and us an appropriate response to perilous times. How must the church respond to a scheduled time of deception? How, much we how must we respond to a scheduled time of deception? The end time church must be a church that abides in and preaches the power and authority of Scripture. And if you take notes, that's the title for tonight's message. The power and authority of Scripture. And Paul's aim is to get this embedded in the heart of Timothy, in his heart and in his mind. Timothy as well as ours tonight. But before he gives them this charge that he should abide in and preach the power and authority of Scripture. But before he gets to this charge, he's going to give him a warning, and then he's going to give him a promise. Followed by the warning and the promise is going to come this charge. Timothy, you must abide in and you must preach the power and authority of Scripture amid the perilous times. Amid the perilous times, the power and authority of Scripture. So a warning and these are the, th the three points for tonight. If you take notes, a warning, there's going to be a moral and spiritual decay. That's the warning. There's going to be a moral and spiritual decay to come in the last days. Followed by the second point, a promise. And the promise is that if you are to live godly, you will suffer persecution. To live godly is to suffer persecution. And lastly, the last point is a charge. First, you give him a warning. It's going to come a promise and then a charge. And the charge is this, that Timothy, that you church, that you and I, we must continue in the things that we have learned and have been assured of. That's the charge tonight. And that's what we're going to spend most of tonight in, in the scriptures at the end of uh, the, the ch chapter three of Timothy. We must continue in the things that we have learned and have been assured of. That should be our response in perilous times. Would you pray with me before we dive into God's word? Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you brought us here tonight, God. We thank you, Lord, that your word is real, it's relevant, it's for today as it was yesterday and forevermore. And we ask, God, that as even as we go over Scripture and we speak about the power and authority of Scripture, that it would... Lord, have, have power and authority over our lives tonight. It would, be, it would get embedded in our hearts and minds tonight. And we would pray for our pastor that you would speak to him as well and through him. Use him, Lord. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, so verse 1, 2, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. A warning. And this is the warning. It's found in verse 1. Right? We said that the morning, I'm sorry, the warning will be immoral and spiritual decay. But know this, verse 1, that in the last days, perilous times will come. But know this. The idea of but know this is that you must keep it in your mind continually. It's not a one-time thing and then you forget it. No. But know this is that you must keep it in your mind continually, Timothy. Church, keep it in your mind continually. You must be certain of this and continually remember it. That in the last days, there's going to come a time, a perilous times, difficult times. And you ask yourself, well, when are the last days? It's, it's interesting because we think that we're living in the last days we, now and we are. But the last days actually started at Pentecost. You guys remember Acts chapter 2 when uh, the disciples and the first church were gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came upon them and baptized them and started speaking in tongue and prophesying. And then Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 where he's speaking about the end times. And he says, this is the times we're living in. So when the church was birthed, that was the beginning of the end times. But although that is when the last days started, the term, the last days, is more appropriate when referring to the season immediately be, before the return of Jesus. And that is what we think we're living in today. And Paul says there's going to be perilous, difficult times. Perilous means they're going to be full of danger and risk. And the root of this problem, the root of this moral and spiritual decay will originate from people's love of self. If you look around media, social media, and wherever it is, there's like never before a culture that's created of love of self. That's going to be the root. And Paul's going to tell Timothy, we're going to read it. People will be driven by whatever their hearts desire, whatever pleases the flesh and satisfies their heart. Think about what you listen to and you hear today. Do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. Love yourself first. Does that sound like scripture? It doesn't to me. The gospels and Jesus, he didn't say that. He said, if you are to follow him, if, if you are to find your life, you first have to lose it. If you want to be fulfilled in your life, you first must empty it. If you want to follow Jesus, you must first deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then you can follow him. There's nothing there about loving yourself. But this is the culture of the last days, and we're seeing it today. The foundation, this is the foundation of all corruption that is going to follow in the next few verses. Love of self. Look at verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the fact that you possess money, but when money starts to possess you, Paul is telling Timothy there's going to be a time where money, where the resources, where riches are going to start to possess people. They're going to be driven by money. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters. They're going to be puffed up, proud, conceited. Blasphemers, meaning they're going to mock and ridicule God. And now you see that even in the media, right? They're going to mock God. Disobedient to parents. And parents, you can probably agree with me tonight. 
right? Disobedient to parents, unthankful, meaning ungrateful, unholy. Unholy is the idea that they will consider nothing sacred anymore. Used to be, if you weren't a Christian, you had you, you consider this, you know, you revered the word of God. That's why it's used in different places of policy, right? In court. But now nothing is going to be considered good. Unholy. And then he says, the last days are going to be unloving. Unloving in the King James Version is without natural affection. And the idea is without family love. And can you guys, I mean, if you start to think, is there situations going on in your family? Did there used to be more love and unity? Have you not spoken to certain relatives now for years? It says that they're going to be unloving, meaning without natural affection. I just read an article this week where there's a group of people now that are trying to legalize marriage and the love of an adult for a younger child, for a little boy, a little girl. You speak about unnatural affection in the last days. They're going to be unforgiving. The idea is they're going to be irreconcilable. I mean, have you, have you know of someone or yourself? You haven't spoken to someone for years. You don't even know why you're still mad at them, right? You can't, recon you can't reconcile family and people anymore. Slanderers, meaning they're going to be bad at mouthing, lies with evil intent, without self-control. They do as they desire, right? There's no willpower. They're going to be brutal, meaning cruel, savage. Did you guys hear the story of the recent uh, army young lady in uh, Fort Texas, right, who was chopped, chopped and killed and, you know, slaughtered and left her, her body parts left a few miles away from the, from the base where she was staying at? You talk about savage and brutal. These are the times that we're living in. And then it says they're going to be despisers of good. What was once good in, in our culture and society is now bad. What was, once, what was once bad is now good. They will hate anything that is good. They're going to be traitors, betrayers, snakes, backstabbers, sellouts. Then he says they're going to be headstrong and haughty, meaning reckless and puffed up with pride. I mean, look at the news. Are you seeing recklessness and people puffed up with pride? Riots, protesting. Pride. It's all about pride today. My culture. You know, certain culture. These people matter. These are the characteristics, or these characteristics are all about one thing. And they start with the what, it, what he said in verse 2. They're going to be lovers of self. That's the root. Lovers of self. Lovers of self. And then look what it says in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, this is the scary part to me. Because when you read these traits, you look around the world, and they exist. They have been existing, and they're amplifying. But Paul just said in verse 5 that it's not just going to be in the world. Timothy, church, I'm speaking about people that are going to be in the church. Having a form of godliness. This is speaking about in the church. They're going to carry these traits. And look about in the world, everyone wants to be a Christian until it means you have to be biblical, until it means you have to be holy. Look at, it, look at Hollywood. Everyone wants to call themselves a Christian. Look at athletes and actors, actresses. 
Everyone wants to be a Christian until it means you have to be biblical, until it means you have to be holy, until it means you have to die to self. They're going to have a form of godliness, Timothy. Church, they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power thereof. A different, the, the New Living Translation says, reads this verse like this. They will act religious, but reject the power that can make them godly. And then he says what? Stay away from people like that. See, what's going to happen in the church in the end times is that people are going to want to make their own religion that appears to be Christianity, but their life will lack the power of the gospel, the gospel that has the power to change their life. And now having given the warning of perilous times, having given the warning of this difficult times, me and you, Timothy, you must turn away. You must turn away from these things. This is the moral and spiritual decay that we must stay away from. It's going to be within the church. And now he transitions to verse 6. For this is the sort, these people that have a form of godliness and these characteristics that are evil. These are the sort of those who creep into households and make captives of gullible woman loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all. In the first nine verses, what Paul is trying to get across here to Timothy and to us is that there's going to be a period of unbelievable mass deception unbelievable mass deception like never before today i believe we're living in those times deceive we're told one thing by the media the next day something else right stat uh facts and statistics nothing lines up anymore different version of verse 6 says they are the kind who work these people they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win their confidence a vulnerable woman or men both burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various lusts people with the form of godliness are going to be deceiving gullible people in and out of the church think about today at work at home everywhere friends family People believe anything today that is packaged the right way. No one takes truth claims, statements made, and brings them before the light of God's word to verify their accuracy. I just take it because it sounds nice, and now I believe it because it's packaged the right way. But when was the last time you, you saw or heard something and said, let me, let me look at God's word. Let me verify the accuracy of these claims because this is truth. It's not just true. It's the substance of of truth people today believe anything and everything and the idea that paul is wanting to get across in the first nine verses is that you must keep these things in your mind continually there's going to be moral and spiritual decay there's going to be a mass deception in the last days will be difficult and you must continually turn away from these things timothy church you must continually turn away from these things. Turn away from people that will portray a form of godliness but deny its power in their life. Turn away from this decay and deception. 
You know what Paul just said in the first, this is what's scary, is that the first four or five verses and on is speaking about the love of self. Love of self. And what Paul's trying to get across is that in the last days, the perilous times, they're not going to be because of matters of intellectual struggles where you're wanting to persuade people of truth with reason and you sit down. No, no, no. Paul is saying, no, that's not going to matter anymore. Truth, reason, facts, the word of God. It's not going to matter anymore. You're not going to be able to sit and reason with people. Why? Because the heart of the issue in the last days is the issues of the heart. People's misguided affections for everything that does not please God. It's going to be a heart problem, not an intellectual problem, a heart problem. It is a heart that drives the human being. And the world tells us to follow our hearts, follow your affections, follow your emotions. But the Bible tells us what? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. That's the problem. We're not guarding our heart. We're following it. Paul's warning is that in the last days, it's going to be characterized by a powerless church. Because the church in the last days, and I think very much today, if you look around, it will not want to talk about sin. It's not going to want to talk about the cross, about the blood, about dying to self. It's going to want something else, something not offensive, something friendly. They are going to want to deny the power of the gospel, which has the ability to set people free from bondage because it's offensive. And then Paul gives the example. He says, it's just like Jonas and Jambres who resisted Moses when he wanted to set the Jews free from Egypt. You guys remember Moses in Exodus when he went up to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, set them free from bondage. And Pharaoh brought out two magicians, right? Jonas and Jambres. And they resisted. They withstood Moses. Paul is saying that's how the end days are going to be. The church, they're going to resist setting people, for, setting people free from bondage. They're not going to want to preach the gospel, which has the power and authority to do that. He's given now Timothy and us a warning. Now he's going to transition and he says, Timothy, I just explained to you the last days. Church, you know the times that are coming. And now he's going to give him a promise. And the promise is what? That if you are to live godly is to suffer persecution. If you are going to desire to live godly in the last days, it's going to require church. Timothy is going to require that you suffer persecution. There's not going to be any way around that. And if let's look at verse 10 now. It says, but you, you, Timothy, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, persever perseverance, the persecutions and afflictions which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Having given, having given Timothy a warning, now Paul will give him and us a promise. The warning is this. These perilous times are coming. A time of moral and spiritual decay. A time of mass deception. But you. But you, Timothy. But you, 
church here tonight. In contrast to the times and the heart of people in the last days, Timothy had been given an example by Paul. What does it say there? You have carefully followed my doctrine, which means teaching and manner of life. See, Paul did not just teach Timothy, but Timothy carefully followed Paul's manner of life, his conduct. Paul's teaching was consistent with his practice, with his life. And Timothy for years now had followed it. He had been given an example. Timothy had, had been, has seen firsthand the vision, purpose, faith in action, long-suffering, love, and perseverance that Paul has had over the years. So Paul just said, and Paul reminds Timothy of the specific persecutions and, suffer, and sufferings that Timothy had witnessed Paul go through. What does he say at Antioch? That's where Paul was kicked out of the city for preaching the gospel. In Iconium, he was almost executed by stoning. At Lystra, he was actually stoned, dragged out of the city and left to die. He says, Timothy, you remember? You remember that I went through these sufferings and persecutions? Well, guess what, Timothy? If you desire to live a godly life in the end times, church, if you desire to live godly in Christ in the end times, you will suffer persecution just like I did. I, I gave you an example, Timothy. I didn't just teach you, but you saw my life my manner, my conduct. And after these things comes the promise that in the last days, like I said, if we desire to live godly in Christ, we too, like Paul, will suffer persecution. When we talk about promises of God, we always think of promises that are comforting and strengthening. But we don't go over these promises here. Jesus gave us the same promise. John 15, 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. That is a promise. This is a promise that Timothy had to hold on to, that we must hold on to. And then he follows it with verse 13. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil men and fakes, they're going to grow worse. And while deceiving many, they themselves will also be deceived. These will appear to be good people, but their evil hearts will seek to deceive and persecute the church. Within the church. So we're given a warning. We're given a promise. And now here comes the charge. And this is where we're going to spend some time. The charge. The charge is in verse 14. Look what he tells Timothy. But you. Timothy. Church. I've given you a warning. You know what to expect. I've given you a promise. You're going to have to suffer. But now I'm going to give you a charge. This is the charge. That you continue in the things that you have learned and have been convinced of. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Verse 15, and from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. After giving us a warning and a promise, here comes the charge. And remember the setting, Paul is in prison awaiting his execution. He's exhorting Timothy, he's exhorting me and you, these are his last words. And he says what? But you, but you, meaning in contrast to what's happening, but you, amid the times of decay and deception, you, Timothy, listen, please, church, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been convinced of. What are those things we must hold on to and remain faithful to what we have been taught and have been assured of? Timothy, you don't have to invent something new. 
Church, you don't have to invent something new. You don't have to look for something different and new. We don't have to innovate the message. We don't have to adapt to culture. You just have to continue in the things that you have learned and have been convinced of, Timothy. He's going to tell him what those things are. We read it. The things that Timothy, that me and you, that we have learned are the Holy Scriptures. So he says in verse 15, that from childhood you have learned the Holy Scriptures, which what? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The things we have learned are the Holy Scriptures, which in and of themselves have the power and authority when received by faith to make someone wise unto salvation. Think about that. The scriptures in and of themselves have the power and authority when you receive them by faith to make you wise unto salvation. In a time of uncertainty, Timothy, church, when you aren't sure of something, we're living in times that are uncertain. We're living in times where we're not sure of everything. Well, here's the exhortation that Paul tells Timothy and me and you tonight. When you aren't sure of something, fall back on what you are Sure of the Holy Scriptures, which you are convinced of, which you are assured of. Why? Because they are the only source of truth and foundation strong enough to withstand the persecution and the deception that is to come. They're the only source and foundation of truth that can withstand the deception to come, all while making someone wise unto salvation. That's the power and authority of Scripture. And the heart of the Lord, I can, I can sense fall so much because this scripture, this chapter has been so heavy on my heart the last few weeks. And I can sense the heart of Paul. I can sense the heart of the Lord through Paul in prison. He's probably crying as he writes this. It's broken because he knows that the gospel, he knows that the word of God, that the Holy Scriptures, he knows it's only the power of the gospel that can set people free. And this is an exhortation of continuance. Continue. Church, Timothy, continue. And he says what in verse 15? And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. But at the end of verse 14, he says, These things you have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. From whom? And whom is plural. Because just like Timothy, we all have whom's in our life, right? We all have influences in our life that have taught us. He reminds Timothy, hey, Timothy, remember you were a little child, an infant, a baby? And his mother Eunice and grandmother Lewis, remember they taught you? We learned that in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. That his grandmother and mother, they imparted the word of God in his heart. And then Paul became a later whom in his life. But who are the whom's in your life? Remember, continue in these things which you have learned and have been assured of and from whom you have learned them. Timothy grew up in the Word of God. He grew up in the church and the church existed in his home. Grandmother and mother. See, the only faith that's going to be passed down for generations, it's a faith that's untainted, that's genuine. Here's an exhortation for parents and family where children are not only having church at church, but it's also taking place at home. Not only teaching by practice, but by example. 
or not only teaching, but by practice and example, where your children, they see the consistency of what they've been taught about the power of the gospel of Jesus in the transformed lives of their parents. They're able to see it. There's consistency when they go home, right? They have a teaching and then they see the practice and the life and the conduct of their parents and it matches what they're being taught at church and what's being taught by their parents. Children want and will rec recognize genuineness. And if you're a parent, you know that. What's the exhortation here? That we must establish a spiritual heritage, a legacy that's going to last. It says, hey, Timothy, you remember from an infant, a baby, that your grandmother, she used to teach you, your mother, she used to teach you. You remember that they would teach you the Holy Scriptures. These are the things I need you to continue in, Timothy. These. That's going to last. That's going to preserve you. We must establish a spiritual heritage, a legacy that's going to last. Everyone wants to speak about today about their cultural heritage. I'm from here and my race and ethnicity and this is what matters. What about a spiritual heritage that's going to hold your children to the times that are coming? And then what happens in verse 16? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for Profitable, useful for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the men of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration. The literal translation is all scripture is God breathed. It's the breath of God. All scripture. And at this point, it was the full Old Testament and a lot of the New Testament now was considered scripture. It wasn't yet complete. We're speaking about the full counsel of God. All scripture is God breathed. It's given by inspiration of God. And inspiration is the idea of origin. All scripture originates from the breath of God. Reminded as an angel was announcing the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. As he's speaking to Mary and, Mo and uh, Joseph, the apostle uh, Matthew writes as the angel speaking. And he speaks about the breath of God through the prophet Isaiah. It says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, she will give birth to a son. This is an angel speaking. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And look at this. And then Paul Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. What the Lord had said through the prophet. See, from the beginning of time, the breath of God has been spoken and written down through the prophets and apostles. This here, that you have the privilege and honor of holding, of taking home and reading, hopefully, is the literal breath of God. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned, the breath of God. You learned it since you were little, a baby, your grandmother, your mother. You learned it from me by example. Continue in the things which you have learned. And look at this. If this is the breath of God, church, if this is the breath of God, Timothy, that's a major claim. Because if this is the breath of God and God is omnipotent, if God is all-powerful, 
then that means that his word is incorruptible. It cannot be broken. John, uh, John 10, 35, Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken. If this is the breath of God and God is all powerful, that means his word is incorruptible. It cannot be broken. If this is the breath of God and God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing, then that means that his word is inerrant. It's incapable of being wrong. And because God is all-knowing, all-powerful, because he knows the beginning and the end, then his word cannot have mistakes. It's incorruptible, it's inerrant, it's incapable of being wrong. And if this is the breath of God, and God is eternal, then that means that his word abides forever. Isaiah 48, 40 verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God abides, endures forever. Forever, the breath of God. If this is the breath of God, then that means that his word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to God for his disciples, the Father. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's not just true. Because true, a statement that is true changes. Right? right now it's evening. That's true. 12 hours from now is going to be morning. The true just change it. Just change it. Just changed. Right? The word of God is not just true. It's the substance and foundation of truth. Of truth. It doesn't change. It abides forever. It's the breath of God. And for these reasons, because it's incorruptible, because it's inerrant, because it's eternal, and because it's truth, then, he says, then it's profitable, it's useful for teaching, for doctrine. What does he say in verse 16 and 17? The New Living Translation reads it this way. All scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and it's useful to teach us what is truth and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It is useful to equip, to mature his church, to withstand the days to come, to prepare them for every good work that God would call them to do. Why? Because it's incorruptible, inerrant, eternal. It's truth. And because the word has the power to accomplish these things, then Timothy, church, me and you, we must preach the word and know the power of it. Preach the word and know the power of it. This is the charge. To continue in the things that we have learned and have been convinced of. We must communicate the only message that brings life and makes people wise into salvation. If you want to shout on social media, if you want to make your voice known, if you, if you want people to hear something from your social media platform, make this known. Communicate the only message. That brings life and makes people wise into salvation. The breath of Almighty God. This. Everyone wants to shout everything else right now. They want to bring answers to everything that's taking place. Communicate the only message that brings life and makes people wise into salvation. The breath of Almighty God. That's the charge. To continue in it. To abide in it. And then to preach it, communicate it. 
See, our response in pluralist times should be to continue in the things that we have learned, church. Timothy, continue in the things that we have learned. And they also have the power to make us wise unto salvation. They do both things. We're assured of these things, the Holy Scriptures, and they're also able to make us wise unto salvation. See, there are many things today that we can be wise about. Many, right? If you're a doctor, I hope you're wise about what you're doing. If you're a pilot, I hope you're wise about what you're doing. And it's okay to be wise about many different things. But only one thing can make you wise into salvation. Only one. That is the breath of God. That is the Holy Scriptures. That's the Word of God. See, Timothy had been taught the breath of God from a baby. He had been left with a godly legacy. And this is why parents, parents tonight, this is why you must, you must speak the breath, the Word of God to your children. At home. Don't expect just the church to do it on a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning. And then years from now when they're older, hey, what happened to my child? Please pray for them because they have walked away. Were they taught and given the example at home? Timothy was given both. It was legacy. His grandmother and then his mother and then Paul. Why should you speak the breath of God to your children at home? Because it has the power to make them wise unto salvation. To preserve them in the moral and spiritual decay to come. To protect them from a culture of mass deception. This exhortation is to the family. Church, we must be completely different from everyone else. And what you give your children and the younger generation, it should be different. From everything else they're hearing and seeing and from their friends and school and everything else. What you speak to them should be different. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Their minds need to be renewed. That can only happen when you give them the word, the breath of God. And in the last verses, we saw here a charge tonight. We were given a charge and the exhortation that comes, an exhortation that comes from the broken heart of Paul in a Roman prison. I can imagine the tears falling on the paper that he's writing on the letter. He says, Timothy, Timothy, people are going to come. They're going to have a form of godliness. They're going to deceive many people. You must continue in the things that you have learned. See, Paul thought that the last days were to come in Timothy's time. And as, as Timothy oversaw the churches in Ephesus, but how much more do me and you need to know this today? If he thought that in Timothy's time, we're going to be the last days, how much more do me and you need this exhortation today? We must continue. This is not a suggestion. Continue. You must continually abide in these things, the scriptures, which you have learned and have been assured of. See, Paul's plea is this. His plea in prison as he writes this letter is this. You, Timothy, understand this, church. Understand this, please. That in these perilous times, people's misguided affection for pleasure, the moral and spiritual decay, will try to transform the church into something that's just a form of godliness in the last days. 
Why? Because people are going to deny the power that can transform lives, the power of the gospel, the power of the breath of God. And therefore, you must continually stay away. That's the idea. When he says, but you must continue in these things, or they're going to have a form of godliness from such people stay away from. It's the idea of continue to stay away from them. And what's the charges? Not only stay away, but remember the charge. Continue in the things that you have learned and have been assured of. The charge should be a relief to us. It should. It should be a relief to us because you don't have to learn anything new. You just have to continue in the things which you have been assured of. He doesn't say the times and everything is going to change. So you're going to have to adapt and you're going to have to learn things new. No, 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 no. Timothy, church, continue in the things that you have learned. The world is changing fast. Policy, culture, infections, diseases. That doesn't matter, Paul is saying. That does not matter. The breath of God is unchanging. It abides forever. And it's not mine and your responsibility. It's not our responsibility to change the heart of man. But the charge is to continue to abide and to simply preach and deliver the breath of God, which in and of itself has the power and authority to accomplish, to produce, and to transform lives. Continue in the things, church, that you have learned in the times that we're living in. I'm reminded by the Psalms as we're going through them on Wednesday nights. Psalms 1, chapter, or Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But what? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates, he continues in it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What is it speaking about? A person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates in it day and night. He's like a tree planted in the rivers of water. Meditates day and night. That speaks of continuance. And then Psalms 119.11 your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not be deceived, that I might not fall into this time of moral and spiritual decay. Church, Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned. Let's pray as we do one last song. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you for the encouragement, the exhortation, Lord, from Paul to Timothy. And Lord, we ask that it would have a permanent impact in our lives amid the times that we're living in. As we look at the world around us, Lord, may we fall back on what we do know, and that is the breath of God. Now, as our times are forever changing your breath is never changing pray give us a desire lord a hunger a thirst to abide in to continue 
in the things that we have learned. These things that we have been assured of. Lord, protect us, protect your church, the children, the kids, God, from the times that are to come, from the times that we're living in, from deception, Lord. And parents, Lord, give them wisdom and discernment to teach your children at home, to speak the breath of God to them. Not only to teach it, Lord, but that they would look at their lives and their manner and conduct and see the power of the gospel lived out at home. Though we ask for a baptism of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would help us to continue not to adapt, not to innovate, not to change the message, simply to continue in the things which we have learned. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.